Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I am, yes, I am your host, Rick Wolf. Well, you know, we've talked about the concept of grit in recent weeks. And to that end, I wanted to tell you about a new book which is, well, it's all about personal grit, and it's grit in the hopes of playing professional basketball. This is the true story of a young basketball player from New Rochelle High School back in the 1970s. Kent Washington was a gifted player, even made all-county back when New Rochelle's arch-rival Mount Vernon High School was sending numerous players to top college programs and on to the NBA. But Kent... Well, he was a point guard who stood only five foot eight. Well, he worked and worked at his skills and eventually earned a full scholarship to play basketball at Division II Southampton College out in Long Island. And at Southampton, he was a star. In fact, when he graduated, he signed a contract to play professional basketball in Poland. Now, this was in the late 1970s when Poland was under strict communist rule. Life in that country was harsh, but no matter, Kent wanted to play basketball, and play he did. He became a star in Poland and in Europe, even became a, uh, well, a celebrity of sorts. He played in Poland for several seasons, uh, seasons learning the, uh, the Polish language. He learned their culture and basically let his determination to play pro ball drive his instincts. And now Kent has written a, a personal account of his time over there, We'll be talking to him about his book and his, yes, gritty experiences later on in the show. But first up, I want to talk about a subtle but important change that I'm seeing in how kids want and expect to be coached these days. Now, let me get into this in sort of an unusual way. A major business transaction took place this week, and it caught my eye, and it sets sets the stage for my first topic this morning. You may have seen this as well. It wasn't on the sports pages, but on the business pages. Microsoft acquired Activision. Now, Activision is the, the maker of hugely popular video games like Call of Duty. And Microsoft bought Activision for close to $70 billion. Now, let's put this in perspective. Microsoft Well, it's led by some very smart people, and they must feel pretty strongly that the market for video and e-games for the current generation of young people is just going to keep growing and going. And to that end, Microsoft put up $70 billion. 
Now, in contrast, Major League Baseball is worth uh, a little less than $10 billion. Youth sports industry in this country, as you know, a little below $20 billion. And yet Microsoft paid 70 bill for a video game manufacturer. So what does that tell us? I mean, to me, the upheaval in youth sports and what Gen Z wants from sports continues to change and change rapidly. Clearly, the, the video games, e-games, they are here, and they are here not only to stay, but they're just going to grow and expand and get bigger and bigger. And as a consequence, if you're a sports parent or a coach in the year 2022, I, I think you really need to think twice about how to coach young athletes, not only today, but in the near future. And I'm not talking 20 or 30 years down the road. I'm talking now, right now. Because youth sports and young athletes, yeah, they're changing in the way they perceive the world of competitive athletics. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying that all this is for the worst, because we just don't know. But what is clear is that coaching approaches are going to have to change because of the ways kids today expect to be coached. And to me, that's what is significant. So if you're a parent or a coach, you need to be more aware of these subtle changes. Coaching kids is not the same as it was 15 or 20 years ago when perhaps you were growing up. In, co in short, kids today have a totally different expectation of how they want their coaches to treat them. And friends, I'm going to get into this, uh, and I'll run down some of my thoughts and comments about this, but I want you to join the conversation as well, because I want to know in particular if you're seeing the same kind of changes going on. The number, of course, is 877-337-6666. Now look, we all know that kids today have more, more distractions than ever. Video games, cell phones, the internet, not to mention a variety of sports, all different sports, bidding for the best athletes. And despite so many doctors advising that specialization uh, is not a good thing, kids today, yeah, well, for better or for worse, they are focusing on one sport, and they do so early on. That is, the push on kids for specializing is stronger than ever. Kids who play three different sports at the high school varsity level, well, we all know they become something of an extinct species. Now, furthermore, kids today seem to be taught or they learn that they aren't going to be a star. Well, then it's okay to quit. In other words, why should I make the effort if I'm not on the fast track? I mean, is the, the only payoff in sports for those who are the best and the brightest? Because this, this whole mentality of saying, well, I'm just going to quit and walk away because I'm not going to be the star quarterback or the star basketball player or the star shortstop, I mean, I, I, I find that odd. Because this sort of suggests that, that fun, the concept of fun, is no longer valued by youngsters because they don't seem to understand that the value of playing sports into their late teenage years in high school is so important, not just to their enjoyment of athletics, but to learning life lessons. Because all those intangible life lessons that we learn from sports about overcoming adversity and other key life lessons, if you're not going through this when you're in middle school and high school, well, those lessons are gone. Now these days, there are, again, there are shifting priorities. We know, of course, about NIL, uh, there are more ways of kids to be recruited, not just for college, but for prep schools, 
We all know about what's happening at the college level with transfer portals and how that's exploding. But kids today are being taught early on that their own success and their personal stats have somehow become more important than the team's success. That's more than a little worrisome because it seems to very much cut against the, the whole core of all team sports. But, of course, at the end of the day, kids are still kids. They do want a sense of discipline, or they at least want a planned approach or a strategy from their coach that is going to elevate them and their talents. And that's one reason, for example, why private coaches have become so popular across the country, because they usually provide lots and lots of positive feedback, the kind of feedback that kids and their parents crave. So coaches, these days, yes, you need to be positive pretty much all the time. You have to be encouraging. There's no need to yell and scream. Rather, you need to know how to communicate clearly and actually teach the kids. And, of course, these days, you need to have a sense of social media. And you need to know the other pressures that are enveloping the kids. Plus, you have to have a positive strategy, of course, for communicating with their parents and trying to cope with the parental expectations for their athletes. It just seems like the boundaries have all moved and shifted dramatically. Back when I was in high school, you know, a thousand years ago, it was the young athletes who did everything they could to impress the coaches. Coaches only spoke to you when they wanted to. You rarely said anything as an athlete unless the coach asked you a direct question. But these days, coaches in general are much more relaxed with the, with the athletes, almost in some cases, cases as if the coaches are trying to please the athletes. It's almost like a total role reversal between the coach and the youngster. And this strikes me as a huge change. And it's being driven by all these new factors in a young athlete's life. I mean, after all, let's face it, it's easy and it's well accepted to transfer to another school to play for a different coach or to go to a prep school for another year of high school and playing sports. Again, we mentioned about the influences and the expectations of NIL. There's always the, the lure of playing for a club team or a select team. And, of course, the growing emphasis that we see on personal stats and accolades. So what do you think about this? Is there, is there any chance of this ever going back to how it was? No, I don't think so. But what is going to take place? And I'm curious to hear your thoughts and comments from people out there who are very much involved in this in a, in a regular basis when it comes to working with our youngsters. 877-337-6666. That's, of course, our number. Let us start our conversation this morning with Ed Ward. He's over in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Ed, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning, Rick. How you doing? I'm cold, Ed. How are you? Guess what? So am I. I'm in the church park. I'm ready to go to church, and uh, it's cold. I can feel it. But, <laughs> well, I, I know it's winter, but uh, theoretically, baseball season is not too far away. We'll hope and pray that happens. So. It's already started for me with indoor workouts and all that stuff. Of course. Here's my, I'm going to be honest. I'm never going to change. I'm going to be honest and upfront. Uh and it was funny. We had went to work at just a parent came up to me, introduced myself himself, and then we, we started talking. Yep. He goes, because I like the way you coach. You, you're no nonsense. You tell it like it is, but yet you're still encouraging players. And that's the way I am. You know, I'm not going to change because of all these new te technology, technology things and all that stuff. You talked about private instructors. Well, you know why they're all being positive and telling the kid that, that he might be the next coming of so-and-so? Because they don't want to lose the client. Of course. They're, they're, they're paying them good money. And of course. You know what? 
that's one of the reasons why, Rick, I don't do lessons. I, I, you know, because I'm a tell it like it is guy. If your kid's good enough to be D1, he's D1. If he's not, he's not. And you know what? And the, that, that's the way it's got to be. I'm going to share you one story that I heard over the, uh, the other day from someone. One of my former players who's one of the top high school coaches in the state of New Jersey, he had a player last year who he signed an NLI to go to an ACC school. The father didn't have him play last year or even pitch. I think it was he didn't want him to pitch because he, he, he throws the ball hard, but he's wild. He didn't want Duke to get, uh, the school that he's going to go to get, uh, get, get, get get the video and look at it and maybe say, We're not, we don't want you coming here. Mm-hmm. So so the coach said, fine, you don't have to play, no problem. And yet this coach still won a sectional title in his, in his state of New Jersey. So my point is this. There are coaches out there that aren't going to give in or get spud or whatever you want to call it. They're still going to coach. They're still going to do, do what they think is right for the program. And the ones that are successful will continue to coach the way they are. Well, you you know, you may be right, uh, and you know it's possible, Ed, that uh, coaches today. And and thank you uh, as always for the Have call. Have a good day. You know, it's very possible we are approaching a time where, where coaches are going to have to sit down uh, in the first preseason meeting uh, with their youngsters, with their team, and say, look, let me tell you uh, how I coach and what I expect from you. So there's no misunderstanding. And, and you know, if it means to be uh, direct, uh, put it in writing, whatever it might be. But it, we're at a point now where that, those kind of conversations really never took place before. But now we have to make sure that everybody's on the same same page, so that the coaches and the and, and the and the athletes know exactly what is expected and and what has to be sort of maintained in order for the coach to be able to help that athlete uh, improve their game. Um, and and you know there was a time where just a sort of like common sense and obvious, but the fact is I I think we've now approached a a point where. Yeah, we have to sort of really lay out the land so the kids know and their parents know because obviously the parents are watching over how the how the youngsters are are progressing and what's the story with the coaches. But so there's no misunderstanding as to what's going on. Um, that may sound again sounds obvious, and it may sound blunt, but the fact is, I I think we have to sort of because so much has changed in just the last few years, uh, as Ed mentioned, just in terms of technology and everything else. We got to make sure everybody is on the same wavelength and it's reinforced, so there's no misunderstanding. Because I do think a lot of has to do, of course, with coaches and communication. We all know that. So if there is any misunderstandings. Well, that's all about communication, and that has to be the coach's top priority to make sure that the youngster and the parents know exactly where they're coming from and how they're going to do it. Uh, being a tough guy, uh, my way, the highway, that's going to be tough to sell to kids, I think, as we get uh, you know farther into this year and down the road. I just don't know if enough kids are going to respond to that anymore. It's, 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 it's going to have to change. All right, let me, let me take a time out. I want to get into this. I want to get your calls about this and see what you think are going to change, or maybe you don't think this is going to change at all. It's just uh, they're going to be more of the same. 877-337-6666. When I return, I'll take more of your calls, and we'll talk more about this very, very pressing topic. We're talking this morning 
about the shifting sands of coaching kids today uh, with all the changes and developments uh, and unexpected things going on. I get the sense that the traditional ways of coaching and communicating with kids, well, that's also changing. And I, I personally feel this is all being driven by the, the new momentum uh, that we're seeing that it's now popping up in sports. And I want to get your thoughts. Again, our number 877-337-6666. If you look around, here's a quick snapshot of where we are in 2022. Kids, by the time they're 10 or 11, are now focusing on just pretty much one sport. Uh, all the talk in recent years about not specializing uh, it seems to be falling on deaf ears with the kids and their parents. Uh, yeah, we do know that the kids were really talented athletes. Some of them still play, you know, other sports, uh, you know, in school. But for the most part, they will tell you that their, real, their main focus is on one sport, which they play pretty much all year round. The other sports, they, they just don't, they just play as more of a social obligation. Um, it also worse, seems to me that, even worse, that kids today are much more likely to quit if they feel they aren't going to be a star. And this suggests to me that youngsters are figuring out early on that it's just not enough fun to keep on playing sports because of, well, let's face it, it's a lot of practice, time, and effort. And so they leave. And when they leave, they don't come back. They seem very relieved, if you will, to leave the practice fields. And basically, a lot of them are going over to just enjoy video games. That's disconcerting as well. Uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it is difficult to be a coach these days. We know that. But these days, it's almost like you have to be careful not to frustrate or upset your players or their parents. Because if you don't connect in a positive way, with the athletes and their parents, well, the kids are going to simply walk away and either find another coach in another school, another program. And the lesson of moving from one club program to another, or even in college, the transfer portal, well, that's become pretty much standard and routine. And again, the impact on coaches, it's been dramatic. Not only are you supposed to win, but you have to win by keeping your players happy and motivated. And to do that, that means you got to give everybody a lot of playing time and a lot of a positive feedback and, of course, a lot of postseason honors and awards. And, friends, if you're a coach, you know this isn't easy because I fear we're getting away from some of the basic fundamentals of coaching kids in sports and in life. And on that note, let's, let's, uh, let's take some calls about this. Let's turn to uh, the Jack Smithland over in Fairlawn. I'm always eager to get Jack's uh, take on, on our topic. And, Jack, good morning. What do you, are you sense the yeah. same kind of thing here with, with, with the coaching and communication changing? Uh, of course I do. I mean, you know, you know, I'm at a different level right now coaching at the college level because these kids want to be there, mm-hmm. you know, especially the, like we've discussed in the past, Rick, about the D3 and the junior and the JUCO athlete. You know, the, they're not playing for the money. They're playing for the love of the game. So it, it's kind of easy. But, you know, m- most of my career for 44 years, I coached at the at the high school level. And, you know, when I first started in 1975 coaching, I, you know, I was that type of coach. I was that in your face, not in my, my athlete's faces. I mean, I showed my emotions and my sometimes anger <laughs> um, at the referees and umpires. But, you know, I learned my lesson, and I mentioned this before on the show, that I've learned my lesson the hard way. But you know what, Rick? Thinking about this show, thinking about where athletics and youth sports are going, you know, 
I have two young grandsons, and I know a friend of mine right now is giggling, you know, Pete from uh, Fred Hill, because we talk about, I talk about my grandsons all the time, and I'm thinking, you know, how's Zach and, and Cindy going to approach, you know, athletics with these kids? Well, Zach already has Luke swinging a golf club, swinging, you know, hitting a hockey puck, catching footballs, kicking soccer balls, you know, but Last night we did FaceTime, and my grandson was reading sentences to me, Luke. Reading <laughs> sentences at two years old. So, you know what? The importance of sports is diminishing. And you've said it, and you hit it right on the head, that if we don't treat our kids the right way, and this is one of my golden rules now, you know, as much as I'm a crazy person in my real life, you know, I try to be nice. I try to make it so that kids want to be there. You know, kids walk away very quickly today, like you said, and you can get to e-games. You know, there was a quiz show that gave a, a quiz, um, 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 a question the other day, what sport is gaining more participants than any sport? Mm -hmm. It's e-games, you know. And, and the point is, is that when, when they gain athletes, per se, I don't consider e-games a sport, but when they gain athletes, all the other sports are losing those athletes. Correct. So our numbers are diminishing. But I agree with you. You have to be a nice guy. You gotta compliment. You gotta under. You gotta baby kids today. And I'm not talking about babying them to the point where you're spoiling them, you know, and 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 then telling you how to coach. But understand that kids like to be praised. Kids like to have a pat on the back. The same way I was, was a, when I was a teacher. You know, the principal only called you into the office when you were doing something bad. You yep. know, never said good job. So where you're going with this show is excellent because it is. Things are changing, and they're, and they're changing rapidly, and they're changing right now, and you've got to do something about it. Um, you know well, what? You've got to be good. You've got to be a good person. You've got you know, you to treat kids differently, or you're going to lose athletes. A lot of the athletes that are not willing to put in the work or the, you know, those mission kids, I call them, the kids with a mission. Now, both my sons were at it for a while, and I know your, your, your children were too, great athletes. So, you know what? Those are the kids you're not going to sway. You're not going to get in. You get in their face. They're going to just look you in the eye and keep going. But that, that timid kid, that kid that doesn't really know what they want to do, they're the ones that you're going to yeah, lose, right? Those I, are the ones you're going to lose. I, I, I think that's a good point, Jack. Thank you. Uh, let me take some more calls, but thank you for that. I do think that those kids are, in the years past, we've referred to them kids on the bubble. Uh, there are those hardcore a percentage of, of athletes who are determined, they have that, that makeup, they have that grit about them, they just want to keep competing and keep pushing ahead. Uh, but the kids on the bubble who could go either way, those are the ones that I fear that we're going to lose if somehow the coaching, uh, the communication is not there. If those kids aren't getting the, the kind of response, the positive feedback, uh, whatever it may be that, that's going to propel them to the next level. If they don't get that, they feel like, oh, what's the purpose of continuing on? I'm not, uh, the coaches don't recognize me. I'm not getting enough playing time. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make all league. If those are the kids who years past would press on and would continue to play and because it was quite frankly, the sport, whatever the sport was, it was enjoyable. It was fun. 
But those are the ones that sort of fall by the wayside now, I fear. And again, I don't have any empirical evidence to prove this. It's all very anecdotal. But that's the sense I, I worry about, and I think it's a real, a real concern. Let's move on. Let's go to, uh, to Mike. Mike's uh, in his car this morning. Mike, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning. Can you hear me, sir? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Uh, real quick, excellent points all the way around. My personal perspective is I think the conversation is reinforcing the problem, mm -hmm. and I'll explain why. I'll be 70 soon. Mm -hmm. um, I played, you know, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about house leagues or learn to play or, you know, youth leagues in towns. And I'm talking about the higher level. When I did my midget AAA and junior A up in the Maritimes, um, pretty high level of hockey. It got, got, got me into college. I wasn't a particularly good player. But then I started to coach and give back. And through the years, I've seen how entitlement's taken over. I've seen how it used to be a winner and a loser, but now everybody gets a medallion. I think the kids are soft. I'll get okay. right to it. The kids have gotten soft. Our conversations are oriented in that direction. We're trying to accommodate our coaching styles and methodologies that are only reinforcing the fact that we've got to coddle the kids to keep them playing. So that's all I had to say about that, sir. Well, and, um, Mike, it's an interesting perspective and one that is uh, not an uncommon one. Thank, thank you for sharing this morning. You know, it, it was funny. I was talking with uh, Dr. Rob Freed earlier this week, and he sort of went along the same lines that he said, you know, there's a general concern that maybe – we're coddling our kids today. Uh, we're, we're being too gentle. Um, and we're not, you know, there, there's something to be said for about being, uh, you know, grit and instilling a sense of grit and, and making it difficult because if we, if we give our kids a sense of entitlement, and this all goes back, of course, to the whole idea of everybody gets a trophy. But the fact is, are, are we doing too much to, you know, perceive that our kids are going to be top athletes and we sort of enable them along the way by being too soft with them. That, that's something that is at the, uh, the core of this conversation. And, and um, yeah, I, I, it's something that uh, I think a lot of coaches think about, a lot of, uh, you know, in terms of communicating and, and trying to put in a, law, a sense of discipline and expectations uh, with their players. makes no difference what sport it is. I mean, it could be hockey, it could be soccer, it could be wrestling, whatever sport it may be. At some point, the coaches have to have that sort of heart-to-heart uh, -heart with their athletes and say, look, this is what you need to do if you want to really get better, if you want to get to the next level, and so on and so forth. It's not about just always praising them. you got to be honest with them. And I think today's coaches realize that's, that's a, sometimes a very difficult and delicate conversation. Let's continue. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Terry up in Amenia, New York. Terry, good morning. I haven't heard from you in a while. How are you? I'm holding on, Coach. How are you? Good. I'm glad to I'm hear looking that. Forward, I'm looking forward to seeing your brother at our delayed 50th reunion. <laughs> That'll be fun. I haven't seen him in ages. Anyway, <laughs> yes. I don't coach sports. I coach to broadcasting. Uh-huh. The Wall Street Journal called me America's oldest college DJ. <laughs> All of a sudden, practically overnight, Gen Z became impossible to work with. Inflexible, unforgiving, no sense of humor, and obsessed with political correctness. Any criticism, they push back. Yep. And I finally said, I've had enough of this. I can't work with these kids because they don't want to be worked with. 
And that, I am sure, is as much of a problem in coaching youth sports as it was for me, ultimately, in coaching youth broadcasting. I just finally said I've had enough of this, and I have gone my on along on my merry way. I'm doing volunteer work up here for the local NPR station and for a not-for-profit entity. I produce Internet broadcasts. But I'm sorry not to be able to work with the kids anymore, but they don't want to be worked with. Well, Terry... And uh, God forbid yeah. you make a blunder. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I made a bawdy joke. Well, we, we live, obviously, in, in hypersensitive times. We know that. Terry, thank you. i, I got to take a, a break here. Thank you for, for checking in. Yeah, I mean, there is sort of this concern that, uh, again, as times have changed, um, is, is the younger generation, uh, are, are they going to respond when they come up or talk or play for a coach uh, who talks to them about here's what you need to do to get to the next level or to improve your game or to get more playing time? We wonder if kids are going to respond, and, and that's if it's just uh, that's just the way it is, um, and, and maybe with that's the, that's the kind of scenario that we've sort of painted ourselves into a corner with. I, I just don't know. All right, let me let me take a, a pause here. Uh, I, speaking about kids today and grit, I opened the show talking about this new book uh, by Kent Washington, uh, and I want to get into that. The book is called Kentomania. A Black Basketball Virtuoso in Communist Poland. When I come back, we'll be talking to Kent about his experiences overseas. Stay with me. Just a quick reminder that, of course, you can always go to my website at AskCoachWolf.com. You can, uh, you know, feel free to subscribe, and if, uh, you'll get uh, weekly email postings about my blog and, and the podcast. It's, of course, all free. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at AskCoachWolf. Now, Next up, I want to talk about a new book called Kentomania, a Black Basketball Virtuoso in Communist Poland. I gotta tell you, this is this is a real treat. Kent Washington's story is one you have probably never heard of, but trust me, it's a good one. Now look, these days we know that lots of star American basketball players decide to go play in a foreign country, whether it's in Europe, the Middle East, Asia, even South America it's become fairly commonplace. But <laughs> there was a time when the idea of a top college star signing to play in Europe, it just wasn't all that routine. And Kent Washington was one of those American pioneers. In fact, he was the first black American basketball player to play professionally behind the Iron Curtain in 1979. This meant he took place, uh, uh, you know, Kent went to play over in Poland. Not only did he star in the top Polish leagues, he eventually moved on to Sweden and did the same. And when he came back from Europe during the offseason, back to uh, his home in New Rochelle, well, he would go down and star in the, in the Rucker summer tournaments. Now, as I mentioned, he grew up in New Rochelle. He graduated from high school in 73, where he was all league and all county. Those were the days when arch-rival Mount Vernon High School was putting forth an endless stream of great players who went on to star in college, and many of them went on to the NBA. It's pretty impressive, all this, especially when you realize that Kent is five foot eight. <laughs> and Kent you, joins me this morning. Kent, it's a, just a joy to have a chance to talk to you about this book and your career. Well, thank you so much, Coach. It's uh, my pleasure, actually. 
well, I, you know, I gave that, this little little prologue about you because it's such an unusual story. And then let's just, again, set the stage for some of our younger listeners who may not be aware of what the world was like back in the, the 1970s. This was a time when American and Soviet relations were not great, and certainly no American had ever played pro ball in a communist country before you did. You were the first. Yes, I was the first, and it was... It was quite challenging. Uh, the fact that I was there with my uh, college team on a, a tour yep. in 1976 helped me with the fact that I, I knew that they would like my style of play. And once I, I actually signed the contract and went back, that was known. What was unknown was the cultural hurdles. <laughs> I got to stop you there, Kent, because, yeah, you went over there and you played in, in, a, in a tournament, and that's where the Polish uh, basketball uh, you know, managers realized you had some pretty unique talent. Uh, you were a great shooter, great quickness, great point guard, and so on and so forth. We'll get that in a second. But when you, when you went over there, you didn't know anyone in Poland. You didn't know the language. You didn't know the culture. You didn't know the food. Uh, there were, again, this is the time when there were no computers, no cell phones, no Internet. I mean, it's a pretty gutsy way to chase one's dream. Now, how yeah. scary was it to get off a plane in Poland not know anyone? Um, I wasn't afraid of anything. I was blindly led by my basketball passion. <laughs> and, uh, and once that, that took over, I was there to play ball. And... The language, you know, I had a translator with me at games and and the practice sessions, but um, I felt isolated. It was lonely, but I had to endure if I wanted to play basketball. Like TV and uh, the radio, they were no forms of uh, entertainment for me. <laughs> I mean, I can only imagine. Uh, it, it sort of reminded me of back when I was playing uh, myself in the minor leagues, and I had been dispatched to um, uh, minor league teams in in, um, in South Carolina uh, or in Iowa. And yeah, look, this was still America. There were, we, everybody spoke English. It was the same sort of uh, foods. But again, this was going to Poland, as you said. Wh wh you really can't watch any television or listen to radio because you didn't speak Polish. Now, eventually, you did learn Polish. That's correct, right? Yes. I did rather quickly, also. Yeah. How, how did you do that? I mean, I mean, it's a it's a East European language, a Cyrillic yeah. alphabet. How did you learn? How did you learn to speak it? Well, when you're uh, uh, in, immersed in a language, you learn it. And uh, I kept my radio on twenty four seven to subconsciously hear uh, the language, even uh -huh. when I. Uh, uh, was sleeping. So, um, you know, I just listened, paid attention, and slowly, but, but surely I could, uh, I could speak, and that helped a lot. Now, with the team, uh, and uh, again, you came in, they didn't know, when you got there, like with any team, they didn't know really what to expect. They, they must have looked at you, your teammates, uh, all of them were Polish stars, and they said, well, first of all, <laughs> this guy, this guy, Kent Washington, he's not very tall. He's five foot eight. Um, and of course, they had, you had to figure out a way to communicate with them because basketball is all about communication. 
how, how long did it take before they began to realize you had some pretty good talent and before you could basically use the universal language of basketball to, to communicate with your teammates? It went very, very quickly because um, I played against them in 1976 with my college team. So they, they played against me and, and they watched me play other games. So mm-hmm. they knew my, my uh, imaginative skill set. And when I got there, it took a, a couple of practices uh, because some of my no-look uh, passes would uh, whiz by people's heads and the things <laughs> like that. And the coach, coach stopped practice, and he, uh, he, he let them know that I don't want Kenny to tone his game down. I want you guys to uh, adjust. Huh. We bought him here because he's a good guard. So you're going to have to keep your eyes open. So that that was well done. Yeah, I remember in the book you you write about that because, you know, it it wasn't a case where the coach called timeout and said, hey, you know, Ken, let's talk about this, and this is how our team plays, this is our style. No, just the opposite. He said to the players, look, we brought Ken here because he's really good, and we need you guys to step up your game so you adjust to what he does. That, yeah. that was a yeah. pretty interesting uh, – and, of course, it worked because the team did well. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, crowds became the game. You became something of a novelty. You became something of a celebrity. Yes, this was uh, – you know, the, the first uh, scrimmage game, we had a tremendous line outside, and I thought that was the norm. You know, I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> the next day – during practice, the manager comes in and says, we had to turn away 2,000 people for a scrimmage game. Our <laughs> hall fit about 3-5. About three, three, uh-huh. And he was kind of like flustered saying, we're going to have to rethink the ticket sales. And that, those kind of lines and uh, those uh, crowds were all over Poland everywhere we played at. And it kind of got to be this kind of like phenomena that uh, uh, a journalist dubbed Kentomania. And yeah. that's where that came from. And, and we're talking this morning with, uh, with uh, Kent Washington. He is the author of Kentomania, uh, a black uh, basketball virtuoso in communist Poland. It's a new book. It's a fascinating read. It, it does take you back to a time, uh, you know, in the 70s uh, and the 80s when life uh, and the world was different. And, and uh, as you mentioned, Kent, you basically just sort of followed your passion. You, you spent, yeah. I mean, goodness knows how many years and years perfecting your craft, dribbling pretty much everywhere. You took a basketball everywhere you went to, to dribble and work on all sorts of skills growing up in New Rochelle. Um, and that just, when the time came, said, okay, well, I have a shot to maybe go play pro ball in Europe. You just said, I'll do it, even though <laughs> you really didn't know exactly what you were getting involved in. But it all, it all had a happy ending. Yeah, yes, it did. Um, the, the, the practice part from uh, my early years, 13, 14, and 15, I began to, my goal was to make high school basketball. Yes. My brother took me to the varsity game, and I was like, wow, this is varsity basketball. I want that. So I set goals, junior high school team, JV team, and then fortunately I kept working. I started to... Uh, practice full court alone. That was how I really changed things. I, because working out uh, full court alone, I could uh, uh, accomplish ball handling, stamina, 
shooting, layups, and just work on everything at once. And as I did it, I became more and more obsessed with getting better. And actually, I think I had an unhealthy relationship with basketball because I could not stop that training process. Now, how, how old were you when this started? I'd say thir- 13, I got this unquenchable thirst. Okay, now that, you know, you heard, uh, you know, earlier in the show and in previous weeks, we've been talking about grit uh, and, the, and the kids who have this drive within them to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Yeah. Clearly, you're Exhibit A. You're somebody who personifies grit, and you just said at age 13, you sort of said, you know what, I'm just going to get into a gym yeah. uh, and go full court by myself and, and work on my skills and my shooting and my dribbling, and that became your passion, and that, that just kept you going. Yes, that, that, that I, I, I couldn't stop. I mean, you know, it's hard to articulate for someone else what drives you. Um, I can only say the, the adage of Coach Lezak, who was my great college mentor, mm-hmm. Kenny, while you're not practicing, somebody else is. <laughs> and he shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I thank Coach every day. He was a great mentor. And uh, by, he was the one that took me from high school into a, the, the college world and made me better. I mean, once he was so so hard on me that I was like kind of depressed one time. I'm like, why is this guy constantly like picking on me? He comes over to me and he says, Kenny, anybody can be good. Very few can be very, very good. He says, when I stop criticizing you, that means I stop caring about making you better. Yeah, and that I, stuck with me. I was going to say, I, I remember those words. Uh, I mean, I come from the same generation as you yeah. do, and those kind of coaching tidbits and, and um hard words uh, at the time, but they are very strong and very powerful in terms of motivating athletes. Uh, you know, the question now is, do our kids today, the new generation, are, are they are they sort of the same, cut from the same mold? And, and there is a concern that maybe they're not. Maybe they're just uh, being so led by a sense of entitlement, or they figured they're good enough, they don't have to practice all the time. And, and you know, Kenny, as you said, you had a coach in Donnie Lezak who just said, look, you have to, if you're good now, but if you really want to become great, you got to really pay the price. And yes. that, those are tough words for of a young guy to hear. And in your case, you absorbed it, and, and it became sort of your your uh, personal mantra to keep pushing on. Absolutely. When, when you play, let me go back to Poland for a second. Obviously, you, you write about it in the book, and, and, and you talk about the reception, the response. People obviously knew who you were. Um, they, you know, but what about the other opposing teams? What kind of, what kind of feedback did you get from the, uh, the opposition, the other teams, when they, they confronted how to play your team? That's a great question. You never know then. But there are a lot of Polish um, uh, articles now that I read that reflect, and I I found out that you know um, uh, the uh, teammates and people that played against me respected my game, and they were happy that I made well not I made that I helped promote basketball because crowds came. And yeah. when the crowds come, you know, they get paid, too. I mean, this is a, 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 a communist state with uh, capitalistic ideas. I mean, there's incentives for wins, playoffs, everything. 
So um, the more people that come to uh, games, the more popular the sport is. <laughs> These guys get paid. So I, I, mean, I found that out. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk in the book about, again, this is a 1970s, uh, late 1970s in, in communist Poland. Uh, money, getting paid, this is a different kind of uh, mindset. It's not the, uh, the so-called traditional American way. This is a way of people saying, well, you know, we've got to figure out whether or not uh, we can pay you in dollars or in the local currency and so on and so forth. Again, you, you just sort of, because of your de your desire and your love for basketball, you just you just you know push through all this stuff. You just kept going and going. Now I gotta say, I know you ended up in Sweden. You played several years in Poland. Eventually, ended up in Sweden, mm -hmm. uh, and you started there as well. And you stayed there for a number of years, correct? Yes, uh, I played in Sweden for ten years, and I stayed for uh, for fourteen. I have a Swedish wife and a Swedish daughter. <laughs> Oh my gosh! It is one of the remarkable stories I've ever read, uh, and it's just uh, extraordinary that, that that you were able to do this. I mean, I got to tell you, Ken. Um, well, look, friends, if you get a chance, the best thing to do is to go to Amazon. You can order a copy right away. It's called Kentomania, a Black Basketball Virtuoso in Communist Poland. It'll take you to a time and a place that, for younger readers, you won't even believe it actually happened, but it did. And Kent, i got to tell you, thank you for, for uh, coming on the show this morning. It's just a great story and, and a great, great uh, happy ending, simple as that. My pleasure, and thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Kent. That's uh, Kent Washington, a longtime star at New Rochelle High School in Southampton College. Okay, i got to go. My thanks, as always, to the big guy, Ed Arzuman. Uh, I will see you next Sunday right here on The Sports Edge. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 